Hey, Pastor Kevin Wallace here from Redemption to the Nations Church, and I believe today God has given me a word that is going to speak to your life. Listen, we need strength and we need comfort, and today we're going to find it in the Word of God. Hang on, and I'll see you at the end of this message for prayer. Receive the Word. Matthew 21, and I want to preach this morning for a moment on this thought. Somebody say this after I say it. Somebody say, shake this place. Mm -hmm. Somebody look up to God and make it a prayer and say, Father, shake this place. Mm. Matthew 21, verse 10. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. When Jesus, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. I want you to look back at that 10th verse. That's where my subject is for this, this day. And you may not see this yet, but I believe before we are through, you will see it. The Bible said, when he came into Jerusalem, the whole city was moved. Somebody say moved. That word moved in the English, uh, it, 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 it's moved, but in the Greek it is size, where we get the word size or seismograph or seismic. And it's this idea of shaking. When he came into the city, the Bible said the whole city shook at his arrival. How many know that when God comes to a city, he doesn't just tiptoe into the city, but his feet are heavy and his glory is weighty and he shakes the city. Somebody holler, shake this place. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'll shake us today. I pray you'll shake every person in this place. Shake the house, shake the city, shake cities, shake nations as you come. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said amen. May be seated in the presence of God. When I was a young boy preacher, I remember going to Sunday school and learning about the attributes of God. And when my Sunday school teacher began to teach us about the attributes of God, he began to talk to us about the God who is, number one, omniscient. Omniscient. Omni meaning all and scient meaning to know. So we found out that one of the attributes of, what, of God was that God is all-knowing. How many know you cannot inform God? You cannot inform him. You don't need to catch him up. You don't have to make him aware. God knows everything. Past, present, and future, our God is an omniscient God. If you believe that, say amen. Not only is he omniscient, but our Sunday school teacher taught us that he's omnipotent. Omnipotent. As one old saint said, he is omnipotent. Omni meaning all, potent meaning power, and this means that our God is the God of all power, that he is not lacking in any area, that God doesn't have to sit down and take a water break. He doesn't have to lay down and sleep to catch up on rest because he's weary. The Bible said in the book of Psalm that God who keeps Israel will ne neither slumber nor sleep. God never takes a break. God never gets exhausted. God never wears out. God's never encountered an enemy he didn't know how to overcome. God has all power. Power to heal your body, power to touch your mind, power to heal you and forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. How many know that our God is omnipotent and he has all power? But not only is he omniscient, not only is he omnipotent, he is also what my Sunday school teacher taught me, omnipresent. Everyone say omnipresent. 
Omni meaning all, present meaning in every location. God is never, listen carefully, God is never trying to get somewhere. God is in all places at all times. The Bible said in the book of Psalm 139, the psalmist wrote these words. If I ascend into uh, heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. David said, if I take the wings of the morning and fly away and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you are there. Even your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I want you to know that God is wherever you are and wherever you are not. God is never on his way. God is always there. It's why Paul told us in the book of Colossians, the first chapter, that all things consist by him and are sustained by him. In fact, the whole world being held together is only being held together because God is holding it together. And he's holding all things together. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. How many know that's what the Bible says in John 1? So, so God is omnipresent. He's omnipotent, he, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. But I want you to understand that beyond the omniscience and the omnipotence and the omnipresence of God, we must understand that there is, there is dimension to the presence of God. That, that even though God is in all places at all times, there is more of God that can be encountered in a place. Talk to me, somebody. We see this in society. There are, there are godless people. They're not even spiritual. They don't even go to church. And yet they say things like the man upstairs. How many ever heard somebody talk about the man upstairs? How many know he's more than the man upstairs? This is not just some abstract God. This is not just the acquiescence. When we, talk, when we talk about the, the, the dimensions of God's presence, we are not talking about simply you and I acquiescing that God is in a place. Let me freak you out. How many know that God was in this building last night at 2 a.m. when nobody else was in the building? But how many can testify that when we came together in this place today and we began to worship God, there was an awareness that God was in the room? Yeah, because omnipresence is an acknowledgement that God is in all places at all times. But there are dimensions to the presence of God where you can actually be in a building and know in your mind that God is there. But there's something when he walks into the room and announces, I'm here. And you can feel him. Anybody know what I'm talking about when you feel God? I believe the Bible teaches that that God is in all places at all times. But there are times when God shows up and you know it. Have you ever walked into a building, some of you perhaps today, you walked into a building and your hair started standing up. And you started feeling goosebumps on your arm. And you, start, and you say, Pastor, I don't walk by feeling. I don't either, but it sure feels good to feel him when he's in the room. And why do we feel God sometimes? Because there are dimensions to God. And I want everyone to understand that we embrace the omnipresence of God. We know that he's in all places at all times. But this house will never be satisfied with a simple mental assent that God is in the room. We don't just want to, 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 to know about him being in the room. We want to know he walked into the room. If he was already in the room, then why do we need scriptures like where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. I thought he was already there. And he was already there, so why would Jesus say that? He would say that to let us know I'm there, but where two or three get together in my name, I'm there and you know I'm there. I don't just want you to sit in a building and think I'm there. Oh, Lord, I feel like teaching right here. I want you to be in a place where you sense me walk into the room and your natural body may not understand it and your natural man mind may not comprehend it, but there is a spirit man on the inside of everybody in this room that comes alive when the spirit of the Lord shows up and demonstrates the power of God. 
And there are places in the Bible where God shows up and manifests his presence. There's a scripture over in Chronicles where the Bible said that the priest of the temple came under such an auspice of the glory that they could not stand up in the power of God and they all fell down because they could not minister. And I understand in a church like this, sometimes people fall in the floor and if you've never been a part of anything like that, you're sitting back there and, and you're acting like you're getting a phone call to go to the car and to get you out of that moment of what in the world is going on here. I'm going to encourage you to stay a while because that person fell, not because we believe in courtesy drops or because we're trying to take a nap, but because the weight of the glory of Yahweh sits down on us sometimes and our legs give way as the goodness of God overtake us. This is not a puny God. Why do people fall in the floor? I'll tell you why. It's very simple. This is not deep. It doesn't require a PhD. People fall when they can't stand up. And sometimes the goodness of the Lord will sit on you so heavy and the glory of God will get on you so strong that you can't just stand up and square your shoulders and think about you. There's a time when he walks in the room and all flesh knows that he's in the building and sometimes we can't even stand the minister. I don't know about you, but I want to go to a place. I believe I'm living in a time and a season where God is not just wanting us to survive on a revelation of his omnipresence. God is intensifying and, and he is zeroing in on locations where he will manifest his glory in ways that flesh knows someone greater than us is in the building. David there's places in the Bible where, where God arrives. He was already there, but he arrives. Y'all missing what I'm saying. He was already there, but he shows up. It goes beyond the omnipresence of God and this glory of God. And there was this place over in Samuel where this happened. Because there was a man named David who was the king over a nation called Israel. And he inherited the throne from a backslidden king named Saul. Saul had become full of pride. Saul had got exalted in pride. He was a rebellious man. He was a man who was hard-hearted toward the, the things of God. He had lost his tenderness to God. God told him to do one thing. Saul didn't do it. God told him to do one thing. Saul didn't do it. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care what your title is. If you don't obey God, God can take your title and your authority away. He is not hard up. In fact, God fired Saul and let him keep working for him. The Bible said that Saul was king for years without the presence of God. He did not give heed or any kind of concern to the Ark of the Covenant, which in the Old Testament is the type and the shadow and the representation of the glory of God. Saul is sitting on a throne and miles down the road, the Ark of the Covenant is sitting at a house. And he doesn't even care that the nation is being run without the presence of God. So the Bible said that when Saul got rid of, when God got rid of Saul, he went and found a king and a man after his own heart. And there was a king named David. Lord, I feel like preaching about David right here. David was not a tall man. David wasn't the most strapping man. But you know what David was? He was an obedient man. And it wasn't that David was perfect. It's that David had a heart after God. It wasn't that David was perfect. It was that David was a worshiper. And whenever David made a mess, David didn't go around and blame everybody and get hard-hearted. In Psalm 51, when David screwed up, David said against you and against you only have I sinned. Cleanse me, wash me with hyssop in, in your word. He said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cleanse me from my iniquity. I want to tell you that people who love God are people that when they make a mess, they don't get hard-hearted and run away from him. They run back to him and say, God, cleanse me. Make me new. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You can take my car. You can take my stuff. You can take friends. You can take 
whatever you want to take, but whatever you take, don't take your spirit from me. David, he was a man of passion for the things of God. And he went after the president. He became king, and the first order of his administration was to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Why? He built his entire administration on the glory of the Lord. And when David went to open, now you know the story. It didn't start out right. It started out with a mess. David went and got the Ark of the Covenant and put it on the back of a cart. The problem with that is it was convenient, but it wasn't correct. I didn't get no help right there. It was convenient, but it wasn't correct. I want to tell this house something. I don't care how convenient something is. If it's not correct order, God won't honor it. And there's a lot of people who are pursuing convenience in today's church. This house will never pursue convenience in the name of attracting the glory of God. At the end of the day, the glory will never be written in on a cart. It'll be carried in on the backs of consecrated men and women of God. Because you know that story, they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, they hit a bump in Nacon's threshing floor, and the Ark bounced off the cart. And Uzzah, who had lived with the Ark for years, put his hands, don't miss what I'm getting ready to tell you, Uzzah put his hands on the Ark to keep it from falling, your Bible says. And when he touched the Ark, Uzzah died. Does that ever bother anybody else other than me? Freaks me out when I read it. Why did Uzzah have to die? I'll tell you why Uzzah died. Uzzah died because he tried to hold up what God was trying to kill. Listen to me. The ark was a method. The cart, pardon me, the cart. Everyone say the cart. The cart was a method God was trying to get rid of. And Uzzah put his hand to the ark to keep it from falling. And God, I'm going to blow your mind, God wanted the ark to fall to show Israel how inept it was at carrying the glory. And Uzzah died trying to prop up what God was trying to get rid of. I don't have no help in here. And there's a lot of people in the kingdom trying to prop up methods that God is trying to get rid of. Hey, I will say something to you. If it don't work, don't keep doing it, trying to get a different outcome. Let it all fall apart so that we can run back to an altar and say, God, we screwed this up and we need some help and direction. Say amen or something. I'm not propping it up. If it don't work, let's go find the accurate, correct way to carry it until we have the glory that changes lives. David, I'm going somewhere. David let, David let the ark get put on a cart, and Uzzah lost his life. And you know the story. They parked the ark at Obadiah's house. Obadiah was a Gittite. He wasn't even in line for the glory of God. But when they couldn't find anybody who was courageous enough to host the ark, while they went and argued about it, Obadiah said, hey, while you argue about what we need to do, bring the ark of the covenant and park it at my house. Lord, I'm going to preach right here. I want to make a statement. While they argue about what to do next, while they argue about how to do church in this new season, I just want to tell heaven, if you're looking for a place to park the ark, you can park it in my house. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. I want the blessing of the Lord on me and my children and my wife. Somebody say, Lord. Somebody say, Lord. Lord, you can park the ark at my house while the theologians talk about it, while the theologians pontificate. You can park the ark at my house. Let goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. You can park the ark at my house. Anybody feel that way this morning? So David, whoo, 
Oh, Lord. David goes to the house of Obadiah. And when he finds out how to appropriately carry the ark, he goes to Obadiah's house. And extra biblical texts, when I say extra biblical, I mean they were not in the Bible, but they were written at the time the Bible was written. And there are ex extra biblical texts within the rabbinical literature that tell us that while the Ark of the Covenant was at Obadiah's house, Obadiah's wife and daughters bore two children a month. See, I say that and some of y'all are like, oh no, not that kind of ark. <laughs> but when the presence gets in your house, your house will get fruitful. I can't find nobody to help me this morning. The, when the presence gets loose in your house, barren wombs come open. When the, can you hear me in the Holy Ghost? Barren wombs come open when the presence of God is in the house. Stuff that was dead comes to life when, when the presence of God gets in the house. And David heard that the blessing of God was on, on Obadiah's house. So he said, we're going to go get the presence of God because I'm not building an administration without it. And he goes down to Obadiah's house and he gets the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and they put it on the shoulders of the priest and they start carrying it back to Israel, to Jerusalem. And when David saw the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priest heading for Jerusalem, the city of God, he picked up a pen and wrote these words, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Who is not lifted, I'm in Psalm 24, not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation that seek him, that seek thy face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up you everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in can you see this david is david is in a linen ephod oh i'm getting ready to preach right here because kings wore robes david wore an ephod rewind kings wore robes david was a king but wore an ephod. Why would a king who's supposed to wear a, a robe put on an ephod? If kings were supposed to wear robes, why did this king take a robe off and dance in an ephod? I'm gonna tell you why. Because this king understood a greater king was coming with him. And when a greater king shows up, you don't keep your robe on. You take, I'm about to take my robe off in here. Slap somebody, tell them, take your robe off. Take your robe off. I know you're cute. I know you're trying to manage your ego. I know you're trying to impress everybody on your role. But there's a king who came with you today who deserves your flat out worship. He doesn't deserve that cute little, praise the Lord. Oh no, he deserves some sweat. He deserves some shots. He deserves some clapping. He deserves some dancing. You may not feel so high about me when I get through worshiping like this, but I didn't come to worship you. I came to worship the king, the king of glory. I'm going to say this. Zoom in on my face. I'm going to say this. The, the fastest growing churches in America right now have pastors who are praisers and worshipers. I am sick and tired of a movement of a bunch of preachers who walk into a room and sit down until it's their turn. I didn't come today and wait on my turn. I joined my sons and daughters. I picked them up and put them down because this is not about a preacher. It's about the Prince of Peace and the glory of God. Somebody take a five-second praise break and praise the King of Glory. Oh, help me, Lord. Watch. 
David's carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem, and he's leading the procession in praise. And he writes, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up. Don't miss what I'm getting ready to teach you. When David said, lift your head up, O ye gates, theologians believe David was talking about the gates of the city and the doors of the city of Jerusalem. Listen, and it makes sense when you understand that in David's time, nations and people groups, when they would build a, a monument or a building unto their God, when they would build a city unto their God, they would always build in that city gates. And the bigger the gate of the city, the bigger the God that the, that the city or the building was built unto. The bigger the gate on the it announced the size of the God. So if you walked up to a city and there was a small gate, then they looked at the small gate and said, oh, we can take this city. It's a small city. How do we know it's a small city with weak people? Because it had a small gate. It had a small door. When David, Lord, I feel like preaching here. When David is coming to the city of Jerusalem, he says to the city gates, lift up your head. Everyone say head. The word head there in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word rosh. Everyone say rosh. Rosh, R-O-S-H. And we just came out of a season called what? Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. I'm getting ready to say something to you right here. When David said, lift up your head, O ye gates, he was talking about the head, and many people understood what he was saying because the head of the gate was literally the lintel, the top. It was, it was this part, we would call it the, 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 the lintel or the, the piece above the door or the gate. And David said, lift up up your head, O ye gates, be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. Why? Because the king of glory is coming in. In other words, David said, I'm watching them. They're carrying this king of glory. They're carrying the glory of the Lord. He's getting ready to come into Jerusalem, but I'm looking at this gate that lets us into the city, and I'm looking at this God that we're carrying in in the form of this Ark of the Covenant, and I need to inform the city that the God that's coming cannot fit through the door and the gate that you built him so Lift up your head, O ye gates. Uh, when he comes in, he's not ducking. When he comes in, he don't fit in your little house. When he comes in, he doesn't fit under your threshold. Somebody holler, lift up your head. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up to everlasting doors. This is not a little God doing little things. This is the King of glory. Somebody give him a shout. Literally, what David said is raise the roof. Raise the roof. Ready? Take the lid off. He doesn't fit under your religious threshold. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And so why did I read Matthew 21? As I close, this king of glory who came in a type and in a symbol in the Old Testament comes in on the back of an unridden colt in Matthew's gospel. You say, Pastor, is Jesus the same thing as the Ark of the Covenant? No, the Ark of the Covenant is a type and symbol of Jesus. Y'all missing what I'm... The Ark of the Covenant was made out of shaitan wood covered in gold. 
Wood represented his humanity, but gold represented his deity. And how many know that he was the Ark of the Covenant because he was flesh wrapped in divinity. He was wood covered in gold. Come on in here, somebody, and see this with me. He was the Ark of the Covenant. And when he came into the city of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 21, he didn't come in in a military onslaught. He didn't come in riding a white stallion. <laughs> How awesome is Jesus that he comes waddling in on the back of a donkey. You know why he rode a donkey? Because he came not to demonstrate fleshly power. But his spiritual power came from his humility. I'm getting ready to say something right here. You can't walk into the city with arrogance and pride and shake anything. Uh -huh. Jesus taught us something here about the way of humility. When he walks into the city, his arrival, your Bible said the whole city was moved. The whole city was moved. When the whole city got shook, they got shook when he came into the city. The question is, did they feel it? Sometimes God will shake things that they don't feel in the natural. But he didn't just come to shake. He can shake the earth. And Hebrews said he will shake the earth. But sometimes he shakes things and you don't feel it in the natural. My question is, can you feel it? Feel him come in when he walks in the spirit. When Jesus came in the room this morning, did anybody in here know it? Or was it this? Oh, let me surf another video on TikTok. TikTok. Let me look at some Facebook. Oh, I don't mind. I, I don't so much mind it when you leave. I'm talking about while we were in church. See how I offend everybody? When he came in today, did his presence shake anything in you? When he started walking in this room, could you feel him? Have we prayed enough to be discerning that the king of glory has walked in to the room? Or is church just another social thing that we do to come and satisfy a quota that we created so that people who say they care about us don't call and check on us because we hadn't been there in a few weeks? Oh no, I didn't come today to satisfy a quota. I didn't even come today because I have a job. I came today if nobody else would have showed up. I came because I got a promise that the king is coming to Chattanooga and I want to be in the building when his feet touch down and he shakes the room. He came in and he shook the building. He shook the city. Watch this, watch this. And here's what happens. This is my favorite thing. When he shows up, what do people do? Read the Bible. They ask a question. You know what they want to know? Who is this? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. We got this thing wrong. Listen to me, y'all. We got this thing wrong in the church. We think we have to explain to people God. Ready for this? They have questions, and he says, I have answers. They want to know who is this, and you know what he says? Okay. You want to know who I am? Who is this? Hold on. You want to know who I am? Wait a minute. Let me walk. I'm getting ready to do a thing. What you're going to do, Jesus, I'm going to show. They want to know who I am. So I'm going to go into the temple. Well, why did he go to the temple? Because judgment doesn't start with the heathen. I ain't getting no help on Sunday. I don't care. I'm preaching anyway. He, well, you know, all them homosexuals, all them drug addicts, all them abortionists, you better sit down, brother, yay, yay. He's getting ready to deal with your gossip and your pride and your mouth and your... 
Well, I'm holy under the Lord and I wear dresses down to the floor and I don't cut my hair. And if you open your mouth, your tongue is as long as a snake because you got to... I'm telling you, Jesus came to the church. He came to the temple before he ever messed with the world. I made some people mad right there. I hope you'll repent. Who is this? Stop, somebody say, who is this? This is not your homeboy. This is not your sugar daddy in the sky. This is not a religious guru. This is not just another man. This ain't even the man upstairs. This is the king of glory. This is the Lord God mighty in battle. And he showed up because I got an enemy I don't know how to deal with. I got some sin I don't know how to get free from. I got some stuff trying to kill me. Who is this king of glory? The Lord God mighty in battle. and he shows up and when he shows up the first place he goes is to the church I'm getting ready to close uh, which means nothing and he goes to the temple he walks in the temple and I know we have painted the picture of this cute little meek and mild Nazarene with flopping hair and nice brown sandals and nails did and he's just a wonderful Jesus, a meek and lowly Jesus. Yes, he's meek, but I want you to see a picture of him today of him being fed up. He, he had enough time to wield a whip. He put a whip together. While he was putting the whip together, he was thinking about every Pharisee and every Sadducee who had turned the house of God into a den of thieves. And you say, Pastor, what would make God mad? I'll tell you what won't make God mad. I'll tell you what won't make, make God mad. Sinners that come to him humble and broken won't make him mad. Prostitutes who get delivered won't make him mad. Homosexuals that come crying asking for cleansing won't make him mad. Drug addicts who are bound and looking for a freedom won't make him mad. Single parent mamas who raise their babies on a fixed income trying to make ends meet and come to church when they can with a crying baby on one hip. That don't make him mad, but I'll tell you what it make him mad. You get a religious devil that is full of hate and malice that make it difficult to access the power of God. You find some religious false prophet that tells people they can't ever find the love of God and they've done too much to find the goodness of God. You make it difficult for lost people to find him, he'll get mad. He'll get real mad. And he can't. Pastor, can you please, can you please calm down? Nope. I can't. Because the house of God is being turned into a den of thieves. And I thought about that when I read it. Who's the thief and who's the victim? A den of thieves? Den of thieves? What you mean a den of thieves? Yeah. You ready for this? It ain't the devil stealing stuff. Well, I went to the enemy camp and I took back what he stole. Okay, that's great. Go get it. But most of the time, what God stole from you, the devil didn't do it. Religious people did. I better go, because this is one of them words right here. You could lose some members over this word. Yeah, religious people who have set up shop in the house of God and told God, we don't need you right now. We have figured out how to grow this thing. We have figured out how to do this thing. We have figured out how to organize and orchestrate. And I'm telling you, what, what, the, what the old prophet said is true. If the Holy Ghost left most churches, 95% of what was happening would continue to happen because we've learned how to do church without the dove. So the king comes in to the temple. And what does he do? He gets a whip. Indiana Jones anointing comes on him. And the Pharisees start jumping. And the Sadducees say, Oh, that hurt. And he goes over to the table where the thieves were in operation. What were they doing, Bishop? They were selling the doves. 
The last time I checked, the dove is an emblem of the Holy Ghost. And in the book of Genesis, when the flood came and Noah wanted to know that the waters had abated, the first thing he did is that he went out and he released a raven. And you know the story. The raven come back, but then he sent it out again, and the raven never returned. Why? Because ravens feed on flesh and dead things. But when Noah sent the dove out, the dove was a place, was the, was the bird of heaven looking for a place to rest its feet. Watch this. And you want to know where the dove landed? I'll tell you where the dove landed. The dove was looking for a place to, to rest her feet. And where did she land? She landed in Acts 2, in an upper room. When the, when the Bible says that the body of Christ, the church of the living God, was gathered in one mind and in one accord in an upper room, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it sat upon each of them, and cloven tongues of fire came upon. What is that? That's the dove landing on the body of Christ. Watch this. When Jesus walks into the temple and he turns the tables of those who sold the dove over, what he was saying is, this house is supposed to have miracles and healing and deliverance, and you tried to put the dove in a cage. But I came to tell you, I'm getting ready to let the dove loose. Slap your neighbor, tell a neighbor, God's about to loose the dove. I know we got to go in a minute, but I came to prophesy. God is about to loose the dove, and he's about to turn tables over in churches that have made the house of God a den of thieves. You cannot sell the Holy Ghost. You cannot turn the move of God into some kind of operation that simply produces money. This is not about more money. This is about more glory. This is about people who are broke, busted, and disgusted, finding hope and eternal life. Somebody say, loose the dove. He loosed the dove and when the dove when he turned the table over can't you see this getting crazy in the temple doves flying everywhere I came to tell you today we're moving into a moment coming out of a pandemic you say are we really coming out I don't care what Washington tells you I'm telling you we're coming out of a pandemic Well, I don't feel like it. Stay in it if you want to. I'm tired of talking about the mess. I'm coming out of this. And my family's coming out of this. And your family's coming out of this. And we are coming out of this. And we are not going to be ruled by a conversation of depression and fear and hopelessness. Better quit it, Julian. (laughs) There are people, I'm through. There are people right now, I want you to hear me. Mm. You better be careful, preachers. Maybe somebody's watching on Monday morning. You better be careful. I got, I I know people right now who are opening up and here's what they tell me. Well, we really don't want to open up, but if we don't, we're going to go out of business having church for money. I tell you now, I'm thankful we're in a season of blessing right now. I'm thankful the house is full and God's been good to this place. But I'm gonna tell you, I had church when we had 34 people and couldn't find two dimes to rub together to pay the bills at the old church. You sit up here and you think, well, this is such a big church. You must have all the money you want. We're blessed. But let me tell you right now, if it all left tomorrow, God forbid, if it all left tomorrow, I'd come back next Sunday and I'd make sure that the cage was broken and the dove was flying all over the building. People don't need our cute presentation. They need the dove. Your broken children don't need cute church. They need the dove flying. Hover, Lord. (laughs) Somebody say hover, Lord. I just want you to hover over redemption. Hover over Chattanooga. Hover over the Wallace house. I'm preaching with it for a minute. 
Hover over me in Genesis, Lord. I was sitting there worshiping this morning. I was sitting there worshiping this morning and I started weeping when I saw all these kids praising God. And I'm a, I'm a little bit brokenhearted to say this, but I thought to myself, I can feel some of the vibes of people who say it. Don't take all that. Why they got to have dancing kids and banners and Justin up here twirling? Why is Amber up there prophesying with flags? Why are we painting on the stage? Why is that little Ella who comes to the front and she's the shortest one on the stage? But I feel a mighty anointing in that girl. What is that about? I feel the Holy Ghost on me right now. Do you know when Jesus came into the city, who praised him? The children broke out with the palm branches. And the people started saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're all going crazy. And watch this. He's in the temple healing them. And the children start going nuts. Read your Bible. Praising God and the Pharisees. Brother Pharisee, Sister sad, you see. She's so sad, you see. They said, Jesus, this is getting out of order. Calm them down. And he said, didn't you read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, I have ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. Do you know what I feel? I feel like when they were dancing and little Ella walked up and started slashing and lifting up Jesus. You know what I feel like? I feel like she silenced a thousand demonic voices. And I want to tell you something, Papa and Granny, Mama and Daddy, if you won't praise him, your babies will. I want everybody to. I'm just making it, I'm not being critical. I'm just letting you know, if, if it don't take all that for you, don't tell your children that. Because when the king walks into the city, he will be praised. And I, well, pastor, you're getting older. Don't you chill out and on? Because the Bible says the kingdom only comes to those who are childlike. Some of y'all are way too amped up and a little too serious. You need to come in here with a little more joy. Well, I come down here to check you out. You're too late. We don't even care about your opinion. I mean, we're glad you came, but we just don't care. We really, I mean that nice. I'm not even critical. But if you came to check us out and to develop an opinion and judge us, you are too late to the party. I've already lost 150 Pharisees in my ministry and I'll be glad to lose one more as I dance before the King of Glory. Hey, we're not dancing to have a style. We're dancing because Jean's ear was deaf and she's not deaf anymore. The question is, why aren't you dancing to Well, I gotta quit. It's 12-11, but I feel the dove getting loose in the house right now. And you know what I say? Breathe, Holy Spirit, breathe. Stand with me. Stand with me. Thank you, Lord. Have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Can we just ask him for that for a moment? You say, what's next? I don't even know. Can we just thank, thank God for his presence? And can you just lift your hands and worship the, whole, worship the holy God of Israel? We thank you, Lord. 
We worship you, Jesus. Come on. Just put a praise on your lips and some thanksgiving on your heart. And lift your hands and lift your voice. And tell him, thank God, I don't want to live without the dove. Come on, if you don't want to either, just tell him, I don't want to live without you. I don't want to live without the dove in my life. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Let the dove loose, Lord. Turn the tables over, Holy Spirit. Turn the tables over. Even in our church, if there are any tables, we just want you. I want Genesis to know you. I want Jeremiah and Isaiah and Zion and Judah to know you. I want, I want to know that you're moving in our generation, God. Would you keep moving? Would you tear lids off? Would you lift up the head of the gate? <laughs> in fact, somebody do that right now. Just, just lift, the, lift the head over the gate of your own life. Lift the head of the door over your own heart. Just begin to lift, just lift it up and begin to give him praise. Come on, come on, Dante, come on. Seth, let's just give him praise all over this room. Uh, let's just get into a concert, to a, to a symphony of worship, come on. The King of Glory is in this place. If you want him to come in, lift the roof off your own life. Lift the lid off your own worship. Lift the lid off of your praise and give glory to the King of Glory. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord God strong and mighty. The Lord God mighty in battle. Lift up your head, all your gates. Be you lifted up to everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Hallelujah. Listen, I want to pray for you today. I believe this message is bringing uh, a strengthening to your faith. In fact, some of you have needs today in your life, and I want to pray for God to meet those needs. If you need healing, I want you to know that Christ Jesus is a healer. If you need provision, I want you to know that your God is a provider. Whatever you have need of today, nothing is too big and nothing is too small for God to meet it. Father, we thank you today for every man and woman that are watching this broadcast. I pray today for those who have needs in their life. They need you to heal them, Lord. They need provision. They need strength. Many of them need to be freed from depression and heaviness. And I just ask in Christ's name today that the power of your precious Holy Spirit would come up on them wherever they are, break every yoke, meet every need. Jesus, you're a miracle worker and by faith, we thank you that the power of God is working in their life right now, turning everything around in Jesus' name, amen. Friend, we love you. We can't wait to see you next week on this broadcast. Until then, we're praying for you. You're in our hearts, and we'll see you soon. God bless.